Scano Segoani, bonjour, kwekwe, tansi, good morning, and welcome to Moment of Truth. And um, might I add, hi, hi, is that uh, our guest this morning well, is from the West Coast, Lee yes, Miracle? Yes, about that. Would you mind repeating that one? Hi. Oof. Lips wow. there. That's great. That's a, that's a good one. There's a West Coast uh, introduction for you. My guest today is Lee Miracle. Uh, if you are not familiar with her, you, you should be. Uh, she is uh, many things, including a poet and author, and she's an Indigenous elder and instructor at UT's Center for Indigenous Studies. She's from the West Coast, as we just mentioned, from the uh, Stolo Nation. Yes. And um, she also is a recipient of the Order of Canada for uh, uh, her contributions to Canada's literary landscape and influential voice in cultural relations between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples in Canada. And I, I have to say that I'm very honoured that you're here with us today, uh, Lee. It's, it's great to have you here. Thank I you. Thank you and miigwech uh, very much for joining us. Yeah, it's an honour to be here. You know... Um, I, I did a little bit of um, online research um, with some of the things that, that you have done and, and saw some of the videos that have been posted about s- with some of your presentations. And uh, I saw one from about six, well, six months ago or so at the University of Waterloo. Oh, yeah. It was, <laughs> there's a was very, a good one. It was a very interesting <laughs> presentation of... <laughs> Myself and Bill Copeland. Yes, that's right. It was <laughs> my Irish sorcerer. And I'm his indigenous sorceress. <laughs> and we've been doing shows made of our origin stories or the flood story and a few other stories. And he dances the sounds yeah. of the story. Um, he's got a major award recently, uh, Lifetime Achievement, which I actually have too now that mm. I think about it. But anyway, <laughs> that's another thing. And so we decided to do this. We have been working together, though, for a long time at Center for Indigenous Theatre. And then I left. And um, he really likes working with my family, too. He's worked with my granddaughter, my son, myself, my daughter-in-law. He's worked with Thompson Highway's uh, young mm. relative, Renee, mm. and, and some Indigenous people before that. When he came from England, he started working with Indigenous people right away, and he's mm. kind of continued that. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think it is that attracted him uh, from well, Ireland? He's a little what? bit Irish, you know. I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> They're still kind of tribal over there. Well, Sorcerer, that's what I, that's, yep, that's what I was getting at. There, so. <laughs> Actually, um, the Irish do tend to uh, like indigenous people here. I think they are. They feel at home. Mm. They don't have the same kind of guilt that the British have over... Mm. colonization, and they're not uh, complacent like other nations mm-hmm. when they come here. They're familiar. Mm. The Sinn Féin, which is an old organization mm. in Ireland, has always pointed out that North America's colonized and indigenous people are the Irish over there, so mind what you do when you get there. <laughs> so. That's going on for 150 years. Irish are very conscious when mm-hmm. they come. Of course, yeah, yeah. And and I would and there are other people around the world that have been colonized as well yes. and uh, yeah. had similar things done, but uh, at much. Uh, they uh, often long... think we're dead, though. Yeah, <laughs> I met Amakar Cabral, who was the leader of Guinea-Bissau, mm. 
and he was surprised that were there were more indigenous people here than citizens in his whole country. Mm. You know, uh, Lee, in some of the other things that I came across online, I, I heard uh, an interesting presentation that you made some years ago that talked about your early life and talked about you uh, writing your first poem, I believe, at the age of nine. Yes, that's the day which I was actually, to read. <laughs> which actually ended up being published. <laughs> yes, when I was 40, and my mother died. What a, and the, the person who published it just died. I mean, mm. what a fortuitous thing. But I, I thought in poetry, and my kids do too, which is kind of interesting. And learning utilitarian English was very difficult for me, and I still struggle with it. But our language is very, very poetic. So I was, I was learning English from people who were translating so everything was about poetry. In fact, my first job was working for uh, the chiefs, translating from English to bureaucraties <laughs> wow. so that they could understand each other and back and forth mm. because I spoke, you know, the utilitarian language as well as the poetic. And uh, I found out that we understand very little about each other in English, let alone in a foreign language, yeah. you know. So that, sure. that, oh, this must have been really difficult. And so when I grew up, I was translating from, you know, Hunkerminum into into our poetic English and then into utilitarian English. And that was the difficulty in learning to read. Because what am I reading, you know? Mm. You know? I really didn't know. And I remember someone saying, why did Dick run? And I said to Move past the picket fences, hemming him in. And I thought it was so smart, and I got in trouble. <laughs> what is that? She said, <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's some interesting stories. When you talk about learning to read or, or uh, the English and language, um, you, you tell of an interesting story, I believe, with your brother. Yes, and he, how he, <laughs> he built a box of letters. Yeah. We had bandsaws and things, and we knew how to use them when we were kids. My father was maybe a bit crazy, but he would get us to saw things when we were like four, standing on a crate. But he, we learned to use all his tools. And for the bandsaw, he created a whole bunch of letters. And I said, there's too many of them. And I, he starts asking me to name my brothers and sisters, then name my aunts and uncles, then name my cousins. And when I got to 26, he said, that's all there is. And you can still name more relatives, can't you? Yeah. So you don't have a problem learning these. You just don't like these people. <laughs> <laughs> so he treated them like people. And he told me A-E-I-O-U was the women, and, yeah. and they kicked the consonants around to make them say what they wanted to. <laughs> And so then he made me create words to get out of the box. And I found myself talking to these letters and uh, getting myself out of the box. And then I was able to read. Before that, though, I was trying to memorize what she was saying, the teacher was saying yes. when she read. And I got to fourth grade and the chapters were too complex. Mm. So that's how I got found out that I couldn't actually read. Now, it, it, that's interesting, though, that your your brother interpreted it even to explain that to you in that way. That's yeah. a very interesting approach, even right there. 
So um, where do you think this poetic interpretation of, of, of thinking comes from? Is it from the language of your people? Yeah, I think it's from the language into English. Plus, my family was really close friends with uh, E. Pauline, e. Pauline Johnson, Johnson yeah. back in the mm-hmm. you know, uh, 70 or 50 years before I came along. Mm-hmm. And so that's how they learned English. They learned her poetic English. And so it fit the language. Mm-hmm. And uh, and was there something that a relative of yours worked on with Pauline Johnson? Yes, actually two of them. My great-great-grandmother, uh, Princess Mary Agnes, and my great-great-grandfather, Capilano, worked on a book called Tales of Vancouver. They didn't put my great-great-grandmother's name on it because they thought it wouldn't sell with an Indian woman on it. So they took her name off. But I know the female stories that mm. she told in there. Mm. And uh, we have male and female stories. Outside stories, male. Inside stories, female. <laughs> <laughs> Social work, female. <laughs> Lumberjack, male. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> so I, I, I think that that got how they became how they spoke English. But I think because they were translating too. Mm. There's two languages that were operating at that time. One was Chinook, mm-hmm. which is a trade language, which everybody in the country spoke at that time, pretty much. I think they said 90%, mm-hmm. 1905. Mm-hmm. But it's broken English, really. It's mm-hmm. a broken language. It's only a thousand words, and you rearrange them so that mm-hmm. they make some kind of sense. And then there's our language, which was a very poetic language. Most uh, non-Stalos spoke Chinook. Mm. Um, and sometimes uh, Pauline would listen in the Chinook and then try and write the story the way we would tell it if mm. we were speaking our language. And you're also, I believe, related to Chief Dan George somewhere? Yes, I'm his granddaughter. You're his granddaughter. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And do you do you remember him? I, of course I do. <laughs> I was like thirty something when he died. <laughs> well, that that's a that's a man. Uh, wow. Yeah. So one of the things that he did with me, I I lied to him one day, and he caught me, of course, because I was five. You know, mm. five five year olds aren't good liars. <laughs> and he was looking. I remember all the emotions he went through, and some of it was just tragic, and I was wanting to die right mm. there. But then he started to smile, and he said, good story, that one. That's one good story. (laughs) And he says, now I'm going to tell you one. You tell it back different but the same. So I had to make up a new story based on his story. That's a little bit smarter than just plain lying. (laughs) But he did that with me a lot. And then he said, we call that myth-making. White people call it fiction. Mm. And when you learn to write... You can make a lot of money doing that. In the meantime, don't you ever lie to me again. <laughs> That's great. That's my granddad. <laughs> That's fabulous. Um, now, there's also another little story that you told, and it had to do with schooling, and it had to do with um, someone you were sitting with in class. John Byatt, probably. And, and this is the, the story about uh, sitting in the dumb seat. That's right, John Byatt. And would, I, and uh, if you don't mind, can you tell us that little yeah. story you, you exchanged with the teacher when you refused exactly. to change seats? Yeah, she asked me to sit in the dumb seat because I went to an Indian school. And, of course, it's an inferior school, and, mm. and we're naturally dumber than white kids. I said, okay. 
So I went and sat in the dumb seat because I didn't really give a shit where I sat. And mm. the farther away from the teacher is always better because then they <laughs> they don't ask you, you know. <laughs> Especially if you're in the dumb seat. Nobody mm. asks dummies. <laughs> mm. So he said he was really glad I was sitting behind him mm. because he'd been in the dumb seat since the beginning of school. And this was fifth grade, and I really felt sorry for him. But anyway, we became friends. Mm. And one day she gave us a test, and I caught second place, which is always my thing. I never get first. But anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> she says to me, you can move to the seat behind Paul St. Pierre in the smart row. And I said, no, I don't think so. John doesn't like being in the dumb seat. I prefer it. I'm going to stay here. He's my friend. So she asked me to stay after class. And she told me a story about Aristotle, and she wanted me to research him and mm -hmm. make a story mm -hmm. about him. So I did. But the thing I found with Aristotle is that line where he says, some people are natural slaves. And I thought she was the natural slave. She meaning? The teacher. Okay. So I kind of indicated that in the story. <laughs> she was pretty upset about that. <laughs> But she was doing what she was told. Right. Without thinking about it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Not thinking, correct. Not yeah, thinking, yeah, that's yeah. right. Not thinking. A lot exactly. of people go through life that way. Yeah, yeah, that's a natural slave. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, but something came out of that story, if I'm not mistaken. you, you. Yeah, she got me writing stories and all that kind of stuff all year long and eventually changed her thinking about indigenous people. And apologized to me at the end of the year and said I changed her mind about a lot of things uh, in the course of this work we we did together. Um, I'm not sure I ever got to like her. She mm. was kind of prissy, you know. Mm. I don't know how to describe it. Not the kind of person I would mm. walk down the street and say, I'd like to get to know that person. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not the sort of person that right. I would choose as a friend. But she became very, very understanding and uh, helpful to me. And can we just read, that's just grade five? Yeah. The fifth grade. Fifth grade. I could kick out a good story, though, when <laughs> I was five, so, you know. <laughs> I'd say that's pretty good to be able to influence your teacher yeah. in the grade, fifth grade for a dumb kid, you know, Yeah, yeah, all. for a dummy, yeah. it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very, that's very cool. That's very cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, now... You know, uh, I was, I have to admit that I was very drawn into the things that, uh, the, just some of the conversations that you, you, you expand on and talk about. And, and I, I also want to tell you that from, from the conversations or presentations you've made, and I'm so glad you said this in one of your conversations, uh, you talked about the, the, um, the violence against women. Mm -hmm. And the relationship between violence against women and the violence against Mother Earth, yeah, or the Earth, and and I'm and I've always seen or felt that connection. Yeah. If we're going to abuse yeah. one, it, it's an automatic connection automatic to the other. To and and so I'm really glad to hear you have said that. But the other thing you, you said was there's a real simple solution. There's a real simple answer to this. It's not that complicated, right? It's the simple answer is to to get back to connect with the land, but also to take yeah. care. It, it it is a simple answer. It is. It's it, but it's simple in 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 the idea, 
But we're, yeah. we're living in a world that makes that very difficult to somehow do. Yeah. You see, I think kids are, are brutalized in different ways. If you think of a very healthy child that's raised in a good home, they're told no 5,000 times and yes, hardly mm. at all, mm. by the time they're five. Mm. That's deep resentment. I don't care what anybody says. Mm. I remember telling my folks no <laughs> and, and mm. them being surprised, <laughs> but right. going with it. But looking at me for quite a long time and me thinking, now you know how I feel all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was only four or five years old, but you know, I was aware four or five of who, years who old. I am, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so... I think about how the power works in any society, and I'm a baby-boarded baby, and the first thing you see as a baby-board is everybody relating to each other, and you know mother's in charge mm. of this kitchen, mm. and everybody has to go through her and me. Mm. I'm at the door. Mm. They have to address me in some way, and I feel this uh, not because uh, I'm, I was told this, but... People address children. They just do because children are so fun, right? But that's not what I thought. I thought that I had power in this house. <laughs> and I remember my stepfather. He came when I was two. But when I was four, he was looking at me and he smacked me like that. Not hard. And I stared at him for a long time. The evil stall was there. <laughs> And his lips started to quiver and his eyes shook. And then <laughs> then he, he just goes to back away and I spit right in his eye. <laughs> and he turns and looks at my mother and says, this girl scares me. <laughs> and she says, she's a very scary girl past that hat and pays no attention to it whatsoever. And I thought, it's okay to be scared. <laughs> so... On the way to evilhood, <laughs> I thought about how children um, develop relations with power. Mm. Uh, as when I when I'm when I was looking back at my childhood, how I developed relations with power. I had relations with power between adults and myself, but I don't think children generally do. I think the only thing they have power over is the earth, and that's what they take a stick to. Mm. I've seen them, you know, kill crabs mm -hmm. wantonly, yep. chase, you know, small animals, pluck the wings off birds, and all sure. these kinds of sure. horrible things. Yep. And uh, wondered about that, why they would abuse the mm. very being that sustains them. Mm. And then I thought about the violence against women. Who sustains you, women? Oh, so we have this story of women. They're running away from the flood. They're trying to get up the hill, and Raven sees these three women, turns them into cedar, two kinds of cedar and sequoia, because she knew they weren't going to make it to the top of the hill, and she thought they should live forever and make things easy for people. Here's the thing about cedar, the magic of cedar. is a child, like four or five years old, can build a longhouse with it. All you need is a wedge and a hammer and you can make that planks out of the biggest cedar there is and then you can split it so that every plank is manageable. You can carry it. 
you can make shingles. I know I used to make shingles when I was four and five years old for my brothers. We were doing roofs and my father. So that's what women do. We make things easy for everyone to be. And I paid attention to that, to that story. And I thought about the earth too and how easy she makes it for us to live. Almost everything out there is edible. All we got to do is catch it and cook it. <laughs> you know, what's that? Uh, mm. And yet, we don't give anything back. Mm. And we should. Mm. We should give something back. And my mother had a saying. It would be just like we were never here. Put everything back where you got it. You know, mm -hmm. like, just like we were never here. Right. And we would pay attention to that. And when we picked berries, leave some for the bears. Mm. When we, you know, every time we did something, there was always a, a rule about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> leave something sure. for somebody, somebody else right. besides you. Your, your relations. Yeah, yeah. Your relation to the earth is made up of those moments, not made up of, you know, praying to whoever. But they were made up of those moments where we had to be considerate all the time. Mm. And it it shaped me as a considerate person. You're allowed to you're allowed to say things that are uncomfortable for other people as long as it's true and you're not trying to hurt them. And you're considerate. You consider it before you say it. So it's never said in anger. It's never said meanly. You're not uh, trying to bully anybody ever. And you just become this remarkable human being that can think things through. And if you leave that relationship behind, then all you've got is action-reaction power, mm. kind of power. Mm. What my daughter calls uh, entitlement without power. <laughs> You're entitled, but you don't have actually any power at all. <laughs> And on that thought, we do have to take a break. We will be, please don't go away. Stay tuned for more right here on Element FM and Moment of Truth. We will be right back with uh, Lee Miracle right after this break. Alrighty. Welcome back to Moment of Truth on Element FM. You are listening in Toronto and Ottawa at uh, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. Or you could be listening anywhere across Canada if you have downloaded the Radio Player Canada app. And if you haven't, you can also download that and then type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM and listen on your device of choice across the country. I hope you've been listening to the program since the top of the hour. Our guest today is Lee Miracle. We've had a very interesting discussion. And Lee is, a, is a, an author. She's a writer. She has given many uh, interesting uh, presentations on many different subjects. She's also... Uh, uh, as I found out earlier, she's uh, done some work with her daughters now. You've got something yeah. written with your daughters that's <laughs> yeah. going to be coming out. What, do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, we have written poetry together a lot. I, I did it with my cousins too and my grandfather. He's a poet as well. Mm. And so we we thought one day we should sit down and do a book. Mm. And that was about 20 years ago. Well, we all have these different schedules and live in different cities and mm. travel all <laughs> over the freaking world. So... <laughs> We didn't get a chance until this couple summers ago. I think it was three summers ago now. And then we um, were looking for a publisher, and we decided to use the publisher that did my conversations with Canadians, 
but I was doing so much work on that that we didn't get a chance mm. to do much for our poor little book of poems. Finally, this year it came out, and uh, I really like the work. Some of the poems are written together. Some of them are written like call songs, mm. and um, some of them are sort of interventions in different skeletal poems, what we call a skeleton mm. poem, and the other two do the interventions. Uh, anyway, they're they're written differently and uh, together, and we uh, we rewrote them in the in the at Christmas holidays, and then published them this spring. And we're really actually quite happy with them. <laughs> Great. Um, you mentioned another book just a moment ago, uh, Conversations with Canadians. Yeah, that's actually a bestseller for the. I think it's going to be the third year coming. Great. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, I'm getting quite a lot of money out of that little baby. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Congratulations again. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm, I'm very happy to hear that and pleased that, that that is doing well for you. For for people that haven't read that, what kind of conversations, what do, you, what, what do people get out of that? It's sort of a, a track through the journey of my public life, which mm. is doing readings. Mm. In fact, the first book I did was Bobby Lee, and I was mm. so ignorant about publishing that I didn't know I had to go and do a reading. Mm. And I remember telling the publisher, do you really think people who can't read are going to buy a book because I read it to them? <laughs> you know? <He> says, no, <laughs> they can read. And I said, then why don't they buy the book and read it their damn self? You know? <laughs> so the whole thing begins with that. The first conversation was about publishing. And then... This fellow stands up in one of my readings and says, what are you going to do with us white guys? Drive us into the sea? And I remember looking at him and trying not to smile too hard and thinking, I think he thinks I can actually do that. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody into the ocean. <laughs> they all go. <laughs> Lemmings? There they go. Yeah, Probably yeah, yeah. There. <laughs> there we go. I'm Moses with the stick. <laughs> anyway, I just said... Thank you that you think I could. <laughs> but I always wonder what makes them so afraid of us. And then I found this trial of the George brothers. I mean, George. <laughs> so these guys go on trial for killing cops. And uh, it was really this woman who sang a song. Now, uh, people are kind of scared of this about us. If the, the, the lieutenant governor... Um, of British Columbia is one of these guys, Stevie Point. When he sings, his drum floats across the longhouse. If you see that, that's pretty scary if you don't know how it happens. Um, but we lift our logs up with song. Mm. Sound mm. is what is how mm -hmm. it's easy to lift mm -hmm. because it speeds up the molecular movement of a log and makes it lighter. In fact... I've been in sweats where people rise off the ground and some of the people are freaking out because it's never happened to them before. I was raised by white people. Get me out of here. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but we don't know much about that kind of knowledge. Mm. <laughs> and I remember I'm thinking that if this is uh, true and we can do it, then it should there should be a science to it. Mm. And so we started looking at the, what we call the science of holy knowledge and it has a lot to do with sound and waves and things like that. And, you know, some some scientists found out that the whole galaxy is held together by sound. Mm. So low that 
You can't hear it as a human, mm. but it's like a fabric that mm. holds everything in place. Mm. So that's the power of sound. If it can hold a galaxy together, I'm sure it can do other things. We just don't know what it can do. And uh, so that became part of the the story of this guy, that he would have been a young man when this was going on. I saw the, the uh, newspaper articles, and I said, yeah, that would make me scared if I was you, mm. <laughs> you know, if I'm mm-hmm. on the other side. And so I started looking at all the other uh, things that people said over the years and asked, because um, that was what other people would call a racist question, and I tend to think it was not. I think it was a very honest question, given where he was from mm. and what was going on in his, you know, thought-shaping years, mm. 18 to 25, I thought, yeah, that's not racist. That's probably a real fear. And so I decided to look at a whole bunch of other questions and uh, comments that people made over my years of public life. And I had put them aside because mm. I didn't know how to deal with them. I didn't know enough or I needed time to think about this mm-hmm. or you know whatever the case is. And... Uh, Make responses. Mm. So that's the conversations I'm talking about. Right. Now, one of your, your earliest pieces, uh, Raven Song, was 1999 or so? No, no, that's 90. 1990. My earliest okay. piece is 76. Okay. Bobby Lee. Right. Yeah. And 88 is I Am Woman. Mm-hmm. I have others, too. It's okay. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> um would you say though that that Raven Song was a little ahead of the curve in terms of the oh, yeah. topics that that you had in there? Yeah, I guess it, that's what I was really getting. It at. really was. It's kind of funny because it's a three day novel. Mm. Um, I entered this contest. I came second. Mm. I put that on the wall. I wanted to come first so I could buy futons for my kids. I was just newly divorced. <laughs> And I said, "Well, I'm always second, you know." <laughs> so hang, hang on a sec. Is that why? That, so that was the that was the means behind this. You wanted to get futons for your kids. <laughs> yeah, that was the push. <laughs> My daughter found it in the paper and said, "Hey, look, there's a three day, thousand dollar prize. Wow. Well, that's, that's four futons." <laughs> I said, "Let's go." <laughs> the funny thing was, I was get, I had all these kids, teenagers, over trying to get me not to think. Mm. Because I didn't want to cheat. So we were playing Raven games, you know, mm. say, tell them back, different but the same. You know, conjuring improv poetry. We are doing everything we could so I wouldn't think about a story. Mm. And then when I found out that I came second, I said, well, who came first? Well, a woman who wrote a book, a novel about Genghis Khan. I said, how the f- do you write a novel about Genghis Khan <laughs> without having an outline at least? Mm. Oh, she did. She had a 40-page paragraph outline. I said, that's a rewrite, asshole. <laughs> I was really mad. <laughs> then I told him what I did. Right. He says, oh, you must be indigenous. You people are entirely too honest. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I had to live with it. But wow. uh, out of that came Celia's song, and I'm, mm. I'm actually going to do another one about Jacob, mm. who's in Celia's song. But Raven's song hit the dirt running. Mm. Right. Nobody remembers who the winner of the contest was, but everybody remembers Raven. Right. <laughs> there you go. Came in second, but came in first. There yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so at this point in time, though, uh, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing currently. 
uh, you're involved with the University of Toronto and the Indigenous Studies. Yeah, I have been for about almost 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to teach at the Centre for Indigenous Theatre. Mm-hmm. I don't do that anymore. And I've done a lot of work with the Truth and Reconciliation mm. uh, Committee in, in the university, you know, getting things going in a good direction there. Um, but I'm sort of heading, you know, I'm 68, so I'm heading for a retirement at some point. Um, I teach only two courses there. I was a associate professor for a while, but mm. I'm kind of what I call retired. I, I told my kids, they said, what are you going to do with your re- for your retirement? And I said, I'm going to teach. <laughs> what else do Indians do? <laughs> so I'm also the elder for First Nations House. Mm. It's not a, a really handsome income or anything like that, but I get royalties and things mm. like that, so mm-hmm. I'm not suffering at all. Right. Um, I'm not sure how long I'll stay there, mm. but so far I'm kind of happy with what I'm doing there. What do you What do you see has changed in the last fifteen years since you've been involved with students? What How do you see life or or things changing? The students have gotten younger. The average <laughs> age of student. When we started, mm. myself, I was the youngest student to ever start at a university mm-hmm. in that year, 1968. Mm. It was when the door first opened and everyone who had ever wanted to go to school flooded in and they were mm. in their 30s. Mm. And there was some uh, small stipend and mm. your your tuition was paid. So right. it made it easier. Sure. And if you're living on reserve, not paying a huge mortgage, mm-hmm. you can kind of make it. Mm-hmm. Or your p- spouse is working. I mean, the, right. all these things have to be sure. in place. So my spouse was working, so I was able to go to school. But I was 19. And I was the youngest Indigenous student for a long time. The average age was about 32. Mm-hmm. And then in the 80s, it became 27. Mm-hmm. In the 90s, it's about 25 now. Mm-hmm. And that's because... We're getting more and more kids graduating high school. Mm -hmm. And I think the president said it from the president's conference that we go to university more than any other race of people when we graduate on time. Problem is we don't graduate. Mm. And there's a systemic Mm. and very racist reason why. Mm. Um, We pay tuition. Mm -hmm. I'm sure your parents had to pay it too, but through the band. eh? Anyhow, Mm. we pay tuition. We pay about $15,000 a student to go to grade school. White pay- people pay about four fifty-four. Mm. So we are actually subsidizing their education, mm. you know, their mm. schools. Mm. They get the check on October 31st, and they start kicking us out of high school. Right. Yeah. Keep the money. Yep. That's I've how heard they that. get yeah. yeah. And it's all over the north. Right. Yep. So we're trying to keep our kids in school. Well, they're trying to get them out. Yeah. And that's a real problem. Well, in BC, we finally uh, pitched the check for June and success. The kid has to pass the year. Mm. And mm. they have to be able to do an outside exam, not mm. just an inside exam, because mm. you're not bumping us up just right. because. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They sure. actually have to pass the grade. So BC is working its butt off trying to keep us in school, trying to get us to complete each year because they don't get the check if they don't. Mm -hmm. And I think that every province should go that way. The reason that we went to residential school, everyone forgets, is because the province won't educate us. And that's still the case. 
And that becomes a continuous problem. But we're trying to get our kids to graduate so they'll go on to university. And, you know, like I said, if they do graduate, they do go on. And that means that the kids are getting younger. Mm-hmm. So that's a big change. Mm-hmm. But they're also uh, a lot cheekier when they're younger. <laughs> teenagers are assholes. You know what I mean? I'm sorry, but oh, God, you're a teenager and you're going to university. Right. And you guys <laughs> cause trouble. That's what you're going to do. <laughs> so that they're learning a lot of things about how they were treated, too. Mm. And I think that is making for different citizens, mm. citizens who are stronger. Mm who are less likely to roll over. You know, when I was first in school, I most of the students just wanted to get by. Mm-hmm. Why are you objecting? I, they'd ask mm-hmm. me, and I'd say, well, that's just what you do. You don't let people walk all over you. Mm-hmm. You know, teenager. Mm-hmm. But everybody else was in their 30s, mm-hmm. had two kids, right? couldn't afford right. to bugger around, you know? Yep. And that, it's, that's different now. Mm-hmm. So the kids are more self-aware. Uh, yep. They're stronger and they take less and they struggle more right. than their than previous students did. Now, I'd like to ask you this question, considering you're, you're working within the educational system to some degree, and you certainly have uh, knowledge of traditional knowledge, stories, language, Does there there is so much indigenous knowledge that has not been tapped into? Yes, it, it's it's so full of wonderful yeah. knowledge that yeah. has not been looked at. Yeah, I think the only place that's looking at is Quito, Ecuador, and they're f- using um, indigenous just symbology, looking at old science and coming up with new mm. discoveries. Mm-hmm. So that that tells you something, and and it's the same. With our people. I mean, you know, whales don't have language. I remember that in mm. 1954, and of course they do, and scientists are learning mm. the language, and mm. they actually know, they have knowledge about the earth. Mm. And we mm-hmm. used to see they're the, say they're the keepers of the history of the earth, mm. and people used to laugh at us, and so on and so forth. So a lot of the stuff that was funny and quaint and weird is becoming acceptable when, you know, from these scientists who are looking at what they call the science of holy knowledge of indigenous people in the Americas, and finding out that embedded in our language is all this knowledge Mm -hmm. and that we should recover it. And I knew that a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was a reason for uh, hanging on to the language. Um, I'm not saying we have to speak it because it's in, my language is in the, in the, the archives. Mm. We could call it up anytime we want mm, and the mm, translations and mm. everything like that. And we have dictionaries and everything that, you know, mm. I really don't care if my kids learn to speak it, but we should look things up mm. and we should pull out and tease out the knowledge from those, those languages and right. those words. One is Dinequid. I love that word. And it's a, it's a story, but it's also, um, about deep thought, and you spiral down to a moment of peace and recognition, then you spiral out to meet the world. So until you've gone through all the the heart, mind, body, spirit of this piece of knowledge and looked at all its relations with other things, you don't know fuck all. That's it. You know, that's, that's how we are. Mm. So when someone says to me in fourth grade, 
BC has 90 million board feet of virgin timber still. I went home and I said to my mother, you have to get me to a smarter school. <laughs> she <laughs> says, why? I said, that teacher has no idea how trees reproduce. Mm. <laughs> she says, what? <laughs> so she, called the, she called the trees that hadn't had children mm. virgins. Mm. <laughs> and of course they don't have sex. Mm. They just drop seeds. Mm. <laughs> you know, bears carry them somewhere and plant mm. them. You know. <laughs> mm. Anyway, she's oh, she couldn't possibly think that. So if she's what she actually said. So I told her what she actually said. Oh, she means they haven't been slashed. And then she thought about that. Wow, that's rape culture, isn't it? Mm. Right there. Scared the shit out of me for a while. Mm. And then as I grew up and all these various men tried to rape me, I realized, yep, that's rape culture. Mm. I live in the place where all the loggers come from. And that's the connection, violence against women, violence mm. against earth. Mm. It's even embedded in their language, and they don't even think about it. It's disgusting. So we have a different way of looking at that business of thought and the business of tree reproduction and the relation between ourselves and trees. We are exactly biochemically like trees. We can communicate with them. Mm. They can communicate with us. Children know this. When they had their feelings hurt, they go running down the wherever and jump in a tree, start playing in a tree to cheer themselves up. Mm. That tree is emotionally identical to them and mirrors them and, uh, and alleviates whatever pain they're in. We know this because we don't lose that child knowledge. We don't tell our children that's nonsense. We accept what they say. Right. And then we find out that it's true later on. And of course it is. We also say uh, those story stones on the prairie, they're called medicine wheels of stones. Mm. We say sound never leaves a stone, and it doesn't. Mm. So all these story stones are keepers of mm. thousands of stories mm. on the prairies. And the Crees and the Anishinaabes look after them. And they're center island, and we're on the outside like this and like this. So some of us are from Melanesia and Micronesia, Hawaii. Some of us are from Mexico, and some of us were already there. Some of us are mixed up with these people. But these people have been here a long time, longer than we've been on the coast. Mm. So they know something about the land that we don't know. Mm. So we need those story stones interpreted, and they're hooked to what the Crees call star nations. My mm. mother used to talk about that when I was a kid. She's partly Cree. Used to get scared the shit out of me, so I paid no attention. You know, <laughs> but now I want to know. Mm. So the Crees are coming forward with this knowledge. Uh, they're the old people are getting PhDs so that they can teach it, mm. because they're not allowed to teach this knowledge, even right. though they speak the language. And right. They're the only ones that do. White people don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, my stepfather did, but he's dead. Mm. Um, and my stepfather really wanted me to learn Cree because all the knowledge of uh, the universe, he said, is bound in that law, 
in that language. Mm -hmm. And if you could speak that language, you would know something about the whole galaxy, not just North America. So when I listened to the origin story, and I actually did some research for a novel I'm writing, they talk about the woman going through the river of fire. And that's Van Halen's belt mm. going around the earth. Mm. And I'm sitting there in the middle of the night, terrified out of my mind, how the fuck did they know this? Right. <laughs> how did they know this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am freaking out. Right, yeah. But my grandfather's come, voice comes in. He says, white people call it astra travel, but mm. you can jump out of yourself. Mm. And kids who've been traumatized do it all the time. Apparently, they jump out of their bodies. Makes sense. And they watch. Yep. Well, if it doesn't weigh anything and it can go through walls, right. zip, hey, I'm taking a ride. Just energy, right? <laughs> oh, it's God. energy. Yeah, exactly. It's just energy. Oh. <laughs> mm. So we started thinking about that. And the three-day road, energy can get to where you're going pretty fast, I think. And so I'm writing this this novel, and this little mink is scared too. Because I'm scared, you know. Mm. I, I was really... Mm. Is that this is why I had a hard time listening to my mother. Mm. She was not terrified of it, you know, like I don't know how she got to be so brave with it, but there we're now starting to have conversations like this. We have a Cree teaching at University of Toronto and she's organizing discussions around it. Well, I didn't want to interrupt you because that was a fascinating story. But we do have to take a break. We're over our break time. But we'll, we'll take this pause, and we will be right back on Element FM with Lee Miracle. Don't go away. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Welcome back to Moment of Truth on Element FM. You are listening in Toronto and Ottawa. You could also be listening uh, if you have downloaded the Radio Player Canada app and listening anywhere across the country by typing in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM. And they are the two stations, uh, our sister stations here in Toronto and Ottawa. Our guest this morning is Lee Miracle. We are enjoying a very, very interesting conversation with her. You know, Lee, just before the break, uh, one of the things you spoke about was sound. Mm. And, and, and it's interesting you mentioned that. Just a couple of days ago, my 14-year-old daughter came up to me and said, Dad, did you know that they figured out that black holes vibrate at the frequency of a B flat? <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah. And it pulls things into oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So B flat is a real dangerous little <laughs> note. <laughs> Please don't sing that. <laughs> it draws you in. What, what I challenged her with was I said, How do they know that? Because a black hole pulls everything in, it even pulls yeah. in light. So, how do they know it vibrates? Yeah. But anyway, you were saying that, you know, that freq- that the frequencies, the sub frequencies yeah. are so low that, that yeah. things uh, happen at. So, yeah. it's interesting that, that it, it just triggered that thought. Um, you know, uh, you you have brought up a lot of very interesting uh, comments, uh, and and you also talk about how very simple a lot of the the things that we uh, we are dealing with uh, can be uh, alleviated. I guess you know mm-hmm. you talk about chronic ailments in some of your yeah. talks, yeah, and how it's it basically because we are disconnected with yeah. Mother Earth, with yeah. the Earth, and that if we were to reconnect. Uh, and you're talking about that just before the break about how kids know 
intuitively yeah. that connection. I remember as a kid, in fact, when you were yeah. saying that, <laughs> that there were some kids that were pulling branches off trees, snapping yeah, the branches snapping, off yeah. the trees, and, and I couldn't figure out why I felt bad. I felt yeah. bad. I went, that's hurting, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and I don't know if I said anything or not, but yeah. I probably didn't because I would have been embarrassed to think they would probably laugh at me. Yeah, yeah. But I felt that pain. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so you wonder why you're different. Mm. I mean, that's the first thing mm -hmm. I noticed about myself is that everything about me is different from these people. Mm -hmm. They don't care. Mm. What happened to them that they didn't care? And they don't have a way of thinking past the moment. Mm. Mm. If you dropped a rock in a little pond, it wouldn't spiral out for them. <laughs> They'd only look at the little rock in the pond. You know what I mean? They yeah. really, really focused on that. Get the rock, get the rock. Mm. <laughs> so I wondered about that, and I think it had to do with uh, the war, really, between the women healers of Europe and the physicians' movement. And the physicians are mm -hmm. the uh, fourth sons of uh, the aristocracy, and the healers are women in the village. Mm. And so... When they became physicians, they wanted to repress and suppress the women healers because people would rather be dealt with by them than by the physicians, who, by the way, didn't wash and the women healers did, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, the women healers lost that little war. They they burnt a lot of them at the stake, along with uh, gay men, maggots, mm. you know, that sort of thing. And then they came here and went after our healers as well. And every chance they got uh, referred to our our knowledge as hocus pocus. Mm. Um, I just love what, you know, science is crazy. I was, uh, they were testing this theory out of the Binde, which is the, the, uh, the beauty way they call it. And they say that if you can discern many hues of color, then you are more intelligent than others. And so the scientists decided to test that. So they fed all the hues of color into this computer, and then they got women, to, uh, a thousand women, tested them all. The average woman could discern uh, 16,000 hues of color mm. out of the 30 existing thousand. Men, 1,600. Mm. So what was the conclusion? <laughs> Men are more intelligent. <laughs> Pretty much. Hughes of color has nothing to do with... Right, all of a sudden, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So now they know that it does. You know, <laughs> someone else tested it. Okay, that's very uh, subjective conclusion. And there's a lot of science like that. Uh, one guy had 12 women patients, and they all got... Um, uh, diabetes from their pregnancy. Mm. I can't remember. Gestational diabetes. Mm. That's mm -hmm. what it is. And so he said, if you're fat, then you'll get gestational diabetes. And this other woman did a much more complete testing and it turned out that if you start off thin, that you're more likely to get gestational diabetes if you don't watch your weight. But you've got to start out thin. If you start out fat and stay fat, you won't get it because mm. your body is accustomed to this. Mm. It's whatever shocks the body that mm. leads to uh, immune system breakdown. Mm. So a shock to the body has to occur. Mm. 
and that is foreign disease. They used to say we had weak immune systems because we didn't recognize the disease, but that isn't it. If you shock the immune system, it will attack the body. Mm. Mm. So they're not just killing the disease, the, the immune system. It's also killing you. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened to us during the uh, epidemics. And mm-hmm. it happened during the last one when Harper sent us body bags instead of medicine. Mm. It happened to our kids. Really strong immune systems attacked their own bodies, killed them. Mm. And now they're rethinking the whole business of epidemics. So they make all these conclusions first. Don't worry about the logic. We're not using logic here. And don't worry about study. That's not the point. We have the knower's chair. Mm. And so we get to say what is knowledge and what is not. And that has got to change. Mm. It's the last bastion of racism Mm. is the field of science. Mm. And it is ridiculous. I was in school, here's an example, doing archaeology and anthropology. And the guy said, we came over on an ice bridge. This is back in the 70s. They don't say this anymore. And I said, oh, really? I said, on the glacier. And he says, yes. And I said, have you seen the glacier? No. And I said, well, you know, it's like a big cheese wedge. It's flat on one side, and then it goes down like that. And this one was 10 miles high. So straight up, 10 miles. There we are. Ding, ding, ding. Old people, old ladies, babies. Yeah, no pitons, no ropes, no nothing. And then sliding all the way to Minnesota, eating snow fleece on the way. Well, the class was laughing. And I said, come on, let's use a little logic here. That is not how we got here. If we got from there to here. And so I go to Mongolia. They think they got from here to there. Mm. And the language has some stunning similarities to the Dene guy with us. Mm. And I said, well, that would make sense. They're in Alaska already. And you really can throw a rock between Alaska and mm. <laughs> Russia. And of mm. course, it's getting colder here. It's warmer mm. over there. Mm. Let's go there. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a mastodon. There's none here. Right. So they leave. And of course, they, they can come back too if they left. I mean, there's no mm. saying. Maybe we haven't been going back and forth for thousands and thousands mm. of years depending on whatever, but there's no thinking about that. And now they said, well, there was a corridor between the glacier, you know, and there's two glaciers. And I said, it would take three and a half seconds to freeze to death if it's 10 miles high and it's frozen. Right, of course. You know, they're not going to get to Minnesota. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) No matter what you do, they're not going to get to Minnesota. And so he... He gets all mad. And then my student friends tell me, I think you should stop arguing with him. <laughs> Why? He wrote the fucking book, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so I stopped arguing with him. But we have to deal with that when we go to mm. school. This makes no sense at all. And the thing about us is that we have a sense of logic. It's first a spiritual logic, mm. a spirit-to-spirit mm. logic. Mm. If we know there's fire all around the earth, we know there's fire. We're not going to argue. If we think somebody actually went there on the three-day road and came back, I mean, I believe the Jesus story. It's not my religion, but you can die and come back. And you get to see stuff when you're over there, wherever it is. (laughs) You get to make Mm. that journey and you Mm. return. So people have seen things. And they tell these stories and then... 
the spaceships go out to verify. Mm. Well, what more do you need? Mm. Lee, that's, uh, that's going to have to end our conversation for today, but it has been absolutely fascinating having you here today. I really appreciate you taking the time to come in. Yeah. Uh, so, Nyawa Miigwechi Wanishi, and yeah, yeah. Uh, really great speaking with you. I hope you can come back. I'd yeah, love yeah. to continue this conversation another time. Yeah, thanks for Thanks for being with us. We've been listening to Lee Maracle with us here today, and uh, she is with the University of Toronto Centre for Indigenous Studies, an author and also a playwright. And I'll leave it there. Thanks for listening. I also want to say Nyawa Miigwech Wanishi and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy, Aidan Wolf, and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Janet Lamb, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zabokin, Bruce Barber, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa Miigwech and thanks for listening. This show was brought to you in part by APTN.